Tomorrow I get to talk to a high school class about social media marketing and <gasps> podcasting. And, Are you going to make them listen to our podcast? Well, the teacher was like, I feel like maybe they could listen to one of your episodes. I'd <laughs> stop for a moment and like, <laughs> which uh, one's the cleanest? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not that we're filthy. Kara talks about penises a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and we you know we let a few swear words fly down yeah and it's but i wouldn't care about any of that except that this is my hometown oh, high school so a lot of these kids their parents probably yeah. know me and then i feel like well and then there's the the added problem of, <laughs> they're gonna be like wait she used to she used to ride around or oh, their parents are gonna it's gonna cause a rift for my my family will be shunned <laughs> oh <laughs> like the whole small town true craziness of like people you can't. gonna talk so i'm like oh crap i suggested the episode about um constantine the curse oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know the, the transy curse it's fun it's yeah good. i think the whole thing of him running around the, na- the bedroom naked yeah, hitting bats time. with his violin That's is fine. probably <laughs> his violin <laughs> So today, this is another fairly tame topic because there's nobody dying. There's no death. No gruesome murders. No, nothing gory. Okay. It's just a straight up super, super nerdy mystery. I'm here for it. Uh, This is the Witch's Magic Murdery Mystery Podcast. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm Kara. (laughs) I'm Megan. Um, And so today we're leaning hard on the mystery portion. I like it. We got to mix it up every now and then. I know. Okay, so to start out with, I'm going to read a paragraph that's from an article that was published in The New Yorker in 2013. Okay, so not too long ago. Not too long ago. Okay. Stored away in the rare book library at Yale University is a late medieval manuscript written in a cramped but punctilious script <laughs> and illustrated with lively line drawings that have been painted over at times crudely with washes of color. These illustrations range from fanciful legions of heavy-headed flowers that bear no relation to any earthly variety, to the bizarre, naked and possibly pregnant women frolicking in what looks like amusement park water slides from the 15th century. I'm here for that. (laughs) With their distended bellies, stick-like arms and legs, and earnest expressions, the naked figures have a whimsical quality. Oh. Though their anatomy is frankly rendered... It was just something unusual for the period. The manuscript's botanical drawings are no less strange. The plants appear to be chimerical, which just means that they're made up of several different okay. pieces that don't go together. Right. So combining incompatible part incompatible parts from different species, even different kingdoms. Tentacle balls of roots take the form of animals or of human organs, in one case sprouting two disembodied heads with vexed expressions. But perhaps the oddest thing about this book is that no one has ever read it. It's the Voynich Manuscript, and it's named after Wilfred Voynich, a Polish rare books dealer who bought the book in 1912. Oh. Okay. The first confirmed owner of the book was George... I'm going to... I'm paused. I'm going to pronounce everybody's names wrong. Okay. I apologize. Yeah, I like that, though. <laughs> <laughs> great. Barish, a 17th century alchemist from Prague. And he was apparently puzzled by the book that had been taking up space uselessly in his library for many years. So it was kind of like one of these things where he's like, I've had that book forever. I've had this forever, and I don't yeah. even know what's it. Where did it come from? He learned that a Jesuit scholar, Athanasius Kircher, had published an Egyptian dictionary and claimed to have deciphered the Egyptian hieroglyphs. Hieroglyphs? 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 That's better. That sounds better. Yeah. (laughs) Beresh sent samples of this book that he had to Kircher in Rome asking for clues. 
One of those requests was in 1639. That letter from Baresh to Kircher is the earliest confirmed mention of this manuscript. So it's named after the guy who bought the book in 1912, but we've already got it all the way back to 1600s. Yeah. Kircher was interested enough by these letters to try to acquire the book, but Baresh wouldn't give it up. And after he died, the manuscript passed to his friend, Jan Merrick Marcy, who eventually sent the book to Kircher himself. So from there, it's a little questionable about how it got to Voynich. it was given to Kircher. There's no record of the book for the next 200 years. Forever. <laughs> yeah. And then he just is like digging through a Yeah. Well, they're pretty sure one day and he finds a book and he's like, I'll take this. Sort of. Like Kircher's entire library ended up being stored at a college. And then, oh, okay. then that like country was invaded. And in order to save it, they like, you know, squirreled away yeah. the book somewhere. And then that ended up at another college. And then anyway. Like, like on bed knobs and broomsticks. Exactly like that. It's yeah. exactly like yeah, that. Yeah, that's where this book came from. Because <laughs> they had to find that other piece. Of <laughs> so then Wilfred Voynich <laughs> bought it from like one of these colleges. Okay. Historical records show that the text has fallen to the hands of alchemists and emperors alike. In the late 16th century, a German emperor purchased the manuscript, thinking it was a work of the medieval friar Roger Bacon. Kevin Bacon? <laughs> this is what is it six degrees or yeah. seven degrees there we go we <laughs> found it bacon. found it out <laughs> a philosopher and educational reformer who was a major major medieval proponent of experimental science they can studied mathematics astronomy optics alchemy and languages i bet that makes him a polymath <gasps> oh my gosh we found I another mean, one nobody said it anywhere but, but we're going to <laughs> i just found another way to use that <laughs> word voynich is the one who bought the book in 1912. He died in 1930. His wife inherited the book. She died and left it to a friend. It ends up donated to Yale in 1969. And that's where it is now. Like okay. Yale University has So it. they kept it. Yeah. So okay. here's the thing. Um, they've done carbon dating. They know the book has been around for at least 600 years-ish. Ish. It's dated back to the 1400s. Okay. It's been owned by several really smart people. Okay. Who are super into books and super into this whole thing. They've tried really, really hard to have it deciphered or uh-huh. to decipher it themselves. Now it's at Yale. It's been studied by many professional and amateur crypto- cryptographers, including American and British codebreakers from both World War One and World War Two. Oh. Still, we do not know what it says, who wrote it, or why. Huh. So. Have they tried putting it through Google Images? <laughs> or Google Translate? <laughs> yeah. Just <laughs> listen. Um <laughs> Has anybody taken a screenshot of this? <laughs> they have, actually. <laughs> Nobody's got anywhere with it. Nobody can do anything. But I like where your head's at. Okay, I try. <laughs> I try. So here's what we do know. The covers and the bindings are made from goat skin, but they think the original cover was wooden. It I has... thought you were going to say people's skin. <laughs> <laughs> it's goat skin now, but originally definitely People. humans. Yeah. yeah. It was 240 pages. We know some are missing. Um, cool. Some of the pages fold out. Nearly every page includes handwritten text left to right in an unrecognizable script. There are some notations in Latin, and they think those were added later. Okay. But for the most part, the book is completely indecipherable. We aren't sure what it says, if the Latin notations were made when the book was created. I already said that word. People <laughs> who study this sort of thing can tell it's some sort of language. Uh-huh. A group of 20 to 25 characters would account for all of the text. With the exception of a few characters that only appear once or twice. Huh. So, like, it's something, you know? Like, it's yeah. not just random letters. Yeah. And there's no recognizable punctuation. The texts and illustrations in the book are all correct, characteristically European. And in 2009, the University of Arizona performed radiocarbon dating. And they dated it back between 1404 and 1438. Good grief. Yeah, it's old. That's old. 
It's gotten around. Yeah, this is this is, this is where we state the obvious. That's it's old. old. It's yeah, old. That's real old. It's real old. We've got that figured out. <laughs> <laughs> we know this one. <laughs> in addition, McCrone Associates in Westmont, Illinois, found that the paints in the manuscript were from materials to be expected from that period of European history. It's been suggested that the McCrone Associates also found that much of the ink was added not long after the creation of the paper. Ooh. But the official report does not say that. So the reason why this is important. Uh-huh. Is because, in theory, the pages could be from the 15th century, but that doesn't necessarily mean the writing is. Oh, okay. If, you know, if the Macron Associates did find that in their analysis, that they found that, like, the ink was added not long after the paper Mm -hmm. was made, then that would, you know, just be further proof that it's valid. Yeah. It's been determined that a quill pen and an iron gall ink were used for the text and figure outlines. We're still not sure if the text is written in coded or constructed language. And still, it could all be entirely meaningless. That's fun. That's great. That's fun. Let's look at the text of it. There's at least two different hands involved in the writing. The elegant looping handwriting goes from left to right down the middle of the page. And analysis shows that it was done smoothly. Like there's no hesitation. You know, if you're like, you know, when you're like forging so many signatures and you have to like, yeah, kind of do it. slow. It's not like how you normally write. Right. It makes them think that this isn't some sort of code because there's no delay between characters. There's no hesitation when they're writing. It truly seems like some sort of language. So this next part is a little technical about how they analyzed it to know it's a language. But I am enough of a nerd to love this part. This so great. it's all just be dorks for me. For a minute. <laughs> Let's support my <laughs> So there are over 170,000 characters in the book with spaces dividing the text into about 35,000 groups of varying length. So 35,000 words-ish. Wow. The How structure, many pages is it? Two, 240. Okay. And then I think some are missing. The structure of these words seems to follow phonological and orthographic rule, laws of some sort. So if you think of the English language, there are certain rules in the formation of words. Mm-hmm. Like there are letters and characters that yeah. are commonly seen together. Like yes. Q-U-S-T, whatever. Mm-hmm. Prefixes and suffixes. There are characters that are always in words, like vowels. Mm-hmm. Some never go together. Some always go together. I before E, except after C. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sometimes. And all those words where it doesn't, it's yeah. really annoying. Some letters are only at the beginning of words. Some are only at the end. Blah, blah, blah. We have all these rules. They can tell. They see evidence of that same sort of thing in the characters of the Voynich manuscript. Which means if it's a made up language, Mm -hmm. they were real good at it. Like they knew what they were doing. The illustrations. It has been described as a magical or scientific text. Nearly every page contains botanical, figurative, and scientific drawings of a provincial but lively character drawn in ink with vibrant washes in various shades of green, brown, yellow, blue, and red. They aren't 100% sure if the paint was added at the time of the drawings or if someone did that later. Hmm. So since we can't read the text, they basically (laughs) use the drawings to help divide the manuscript up into six different sections. So each section is typified by illustrations with different styles and supposed subject matter, except for the last section in which the only drawings are small stars in the margin. Oh. So here we go. This is where I get real excited. I love... Okay. I love looking at what's in it. Okay. okay. So the first section is the herbal section. Each page displays one or two plants and a few paragraphs of text, a format typical of European herbals of the time. Some parts of these drawings are larger and cleaner copies of sketches seen in the pharmaceutical section. Only a few of the plants are identifiable, like there's wild pansy and maidenhair fern. Ooh. I know. And many of the plant drawings in the herbal section seem to be composite. The root, this is what we said earlier. Mm-hmm. The roots of one species have been fastened to the leaves of another with flowers from a third. Like it oh, seems yeah, like yeah. they're composites. Yes. Then the second section is the astronomical section. It contains 
circular diagrams suggestive of astronomy or astrology, some of them with suns, moons, and stars. One series of 12 diagrams depicts conventional symbols for the zodiac constellations. Each of these has 30 female figures arranged in two or more concentric bands, and most of the females are at least partly nude, and each holds what appears to be labeled star or is shown with the star attached to either arm by what could either be a tether or a cord of some kind. I like it. <clears throat> I know. Like, all of this is like... <laughs> That's my aesthetic. That That's your tattoo. <laughs> I have that tattooed on my arm. <laughs> the next session is the Balneological, a dense, continuous text interspersed with figures, mostly showing small nude women, some wearing crowns, bathing in pools or tubs connected by an elaborate network of pipes. Oh. There's some talk that those basins and tubs imply a connection to alchemy, but they don't look like the equipment that alchemists would have used in that time. Okay. The next so session. Interesting. I know. <laughs> I, I love that there's illustrations. I think if there were no illustrations, nobody would care what right. this book was. Yeah. You know? Cosmological, more circular diagrams, but they are of an ex- obscure nature. This section also has the foldouts. One of them spans six pages oh. and contains a map or a diagram with nine islands connected by causeways and containing castles, as well as what might be a volcano. So that's. Clearly Atlantis. Yeah. (laughs) That's what I keep going back to with this. I'm like, it's Atlantis. This is all Atlantis. Okay. Ran by goddesses. So the next section is pharmaceutical. Many labeled drawings of isolated plant parts, roots, leaves, etc. Objects resembling apothecary jars, ranging in style from the mundane to the fantastical. I think we can figure this out. And a few text paragraphs. Yeah. I mean, clearly. They've been trying to figure it out for like 200 years, but here we go. They've never (laughs) asked us. (laughs) And the last section is recipes. Full pages of text broken into many short paragraphs, each marked with a star in the left margin. Okay. They're just making notes on their recipes. I know. You find an old recipe book and there's notes scribbled in there. That's what they're doing. This is a spell book, you guys. This is absolutely some old witch's grimoire. Oh my gosh, yeah. And we're never going to figure it out. (laughs) Because remember, they ride naked (laughs) on things (laughs) to the orgies. The manuscript's (laughs) purpose. Okay. The overall impression given by the surviving leaves of the manuscript is that it was meant to serve as a pharmaceutical reference to compound medicines or to address topics in medieval or early modern medicine. And that, to me, makes sense with, like, especially that first, the herbal section. Yeah. And, you know, some of the other oh, things. Yeah. It does point out that astrological considerations, so that whole section with, like, the zodiac stuff, uh-huh. frequently played a prominent role in herb gathering, bloodletting, and other medical procedures at the time. Oh. If we could just nail down either who wrote it or what it says, that would help us a lot. But, like, the fact that you don't know either one. Right. Because it's like, if you know who wrote it, then you could be yeah. like, okay, then yeah. they probably wrote about this. Was this Marco Polo? Right. <laughs> <laughs> but with both of those remaining a mystery, it's like, it could literally be anything. And there have been a lot of theories, which I'm going to talk about. And it's fun when you're going through the theories because it's like, they're all... First off, completely certain that they're right. Right. But none Just of like them are. <laughs> none of them back each other up. Like they're oh. all completely different. Oh. And it's so funny because it's like you would think something would be similar. Yeah, I'd be like, well, okay, we're right about this being yeah. Hebrew, but they're wrong about the content. Right. But there's not no. even that. No. Oh. So we'll get to that. Ooh. And the other thing is, if it is a code or a cipher or whatever, we don't even know the language of the text or the language of 
the code or the cipher. So it's like, yeah, <laughs> like where do you what start? What is happening? So my note here is, so that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> so that's great. Kara. Yes, Megan. I have been seeing all over TikTok these hair straighteners. Ever since I got my haircut, I still feel like I'm learning how to do my hair all mm-hmm. over again. Let me tell you, I have found one that works really well. It's um, from Tymo, uh-huh. T-Y. M-O. Yes. And it is the company for getting the best type of straightener for everything your hair could possibly need. It's all over social media right now with products from $59.99 to top of the line straighteners. Each of their products are built to last and have so many options for whatever your hair needs are. So Karen and I received a couple of the products. Oh my we gosh. got a so straightener and a blow dryer. Yeah. So I'm going to talk about the straightener because that's the one that I have used. It has a cordless design, which makes it so right. handy. You traveled with it. Yes. So it's great for getting a good hair reset on the go because it's so portable and convenient. It's called the Porta. It has this 3D comb design, which is enhanced by cutting edge MCH anionic technology. So you brush it through your hair, it straightens as it goes, and it pushes against this ceramic plate that gives a frictionless glide that promises to curb frizz by 50%. And I've totally seen that because my hair gets frizzy and this just really smooths it out. I really loved it. Okay. So I got the air hype. I'm obsessed with it. I have just like naturally curly wavy hair so it was a huge game changer for me it dries your hair in half the normal time and it keeps your hair safe and shiny which i noticed immediately Mm -hmm. i didn't even need to straighten it afterwards and usually i do because usually i have all those wild like curls left over the wind power on this thing is intense it's wild like i turned it up i was like let's play with these buttons okay so it has three magnetic styling attachments they're all amazing you know how some blow dryers you get are like if you go to a hotel and there's a diffuser and you're like oh my gosh this is like tearing my hair to pieces and it's gonna be so tangled not with this one nice and it's magnetic so it's great so right now you guys our listeners can get 30 percent off their first order at timobeauty.com t-y-m-o beauty.com Using the code WMM30. So that's just two M's. You guys know our codes usually have three. So just keep that in mind. So with so many great products to choose from, now's the time to upgrade your styling and curling kit. So go to TYMOBeauty.com and use the code WMM30 for 30% off your first purchase. Goodbye. Goodbye. Menopausal and perimenopausal women, listen up. It's time to take control of your health and comfort and Winona is here to help. Winona is a telemedicine company for menopause care who believes that your symptoms are real, important, and deserve to be taken seriously. And for many women, this starts with hormone replacement therapy. Winona's HRT is made with plant-based, bioidentical hormones rather than synthetic ones, so it better aligns with your body to offer relief from hot flashes, weight gain, and other uncomfortable symptoms. 80% of women who use Winona find relief within just 90 days. So what are you waiting for? Get started today. Visit buywinona.com today to start your free visit. With free shipping and the ability to pause or cancel at any time, your path to wellness has zero obligations. Use code SPRING24 at buywinona.com for 25% off your first treatment plan. That's B-Y-W-I-N-O-N-A dot com for 25% off. Winona, menopause care made easy. So let's get this out of the way. Some people think it's a hoax. And I think it's a matter of it's taken this long and nobody's yeah. been, like all the experts, nobody can decipher right. it. So what if it's just nothing? Yeah. Um, the unusual features of the Voynich manuscript text and the suspicious contents of its illustrations support the idea that it's a hoax. In other words, if no one's able to extract meaning from the books, from the book, then perhaps that's because the book doesn't mean anything. So some suspect that Voynich fabricated the manuscript himself because he was an antique book dealer and he would have known 
how to do such a oh. forgery. And a lost book by Roger Bacon, that guy talked about the polymath yeah. at the beginning, Kevin um, would have been worth a fortune. Yeah, Kevin Bacon. <laughs> Kevin Bacon's great, 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 great <laughs> grandfather. Furthermore, Baresh's letter and Marcy's letter, where they were like writing, you know, to Back try to get help. Trying to yeah. Get, yeah. Only established the existence of a manuscript. Okay. It doesn't necessarily mean it's this manuscript. Ooh. Those letters could possibly have been the motivation for Voynich to fabricate the manuscript, assuming that he knew of the letter's existence. However, many consider the expert internal dating of the manuscript and the June 1999 discovery of Beresh's letter to Kircher as having eliminated this possibility. The hoax hypothesis can't be ruled out, but if the Voynich is a fake, it's a real good one. Yeah. Like a 20th century. Somebody spent some time on that. Yeah, well, a 20th century scam artist would have had to have located 120 sheets of blank 600-year-old vellum. Yeah. Knowing that at some point in the future, someone would invent radiocarbon dating, mm-hmm. which did not exist in 1912 right. when the Voynich manuscript was bought. Right. So it's just kind of one of these things that's like, you think if it was a forgery, they wouldn't have even thought they had to find the 600. Yeah. They just could have forged it on yeah. the because. The idea that we'd ever be able to figure that out right. didn't exist. Okay, so here's some theories about the language. Many hypotheses have been developed about the Voynich manuscript's language, which is called Voynichese. Oh, I love this. <laughs> <laughs> so it could be a cipher. And so there's a letter-based cipher theory, which is the working hypothesis for most 20th century attempts to decipher it. And it basically is that the manuscript contains a meaningful text in some European language that was intentionally rendered obscure by mapping it to the Voynich manuscript alphabet. So basically it's like individual letters being replaced with other other individuals. Oh, okay. This is kind of the cipher I gotcha. think of when I think of like a really basic thing. Yeah. The main argument is that it's difficult to explain why a European author would have used a strange alphabet and the estimated date for the manuscript roughly coincides with the birth of cryptography in Europe. So it could have been that like, this is a new thing that's happening. Yeah. So I'm going to try it. I'm going to code my manuscript or make it a cipher. Yeah. The counter argument is that almost all cipher systems consistent with that era fail to match what is seen in the Voynich manuscript. And there's also the possibility that the encryption system had a pretty simple cipher and then got changed by adding in meaningless stuff. And, you know, somebody sort of tried mm-hmm. to tweak it to make it their own. Right. Which is, would make it even harder to break. Yeah. One interesting thing I saw was, Ra- oh my God, look at that word. Ra- Raphael uh-huh. Nishovsky. Uh-huh. Yeah. Just like that. Uh-huh. He was a friend of Marcy, who was the guy who inherited it from Baresh. Yes. And eventually gave it to Kirchner. That I mentioned yes. back at the beginning. He's the one who, he was like, this is the product of Kevin Bacon's great, great, great grandfather. Yes. Yeah. Take it and in a circle. <laughs> Raphael Nishafti was <laughs> himself a cryptographer and apparently invented a cipher, which he claimed was uncrackable. So there is this theory that Minoshki uh-huh. might have produced the Voynich manuscript as a demonstration of his cipher. Oh. And then he didn't tell Baresh that when he gave him the book. It was okay. like... He was a test subject to see what yeah. would happen. So it's possible that this guy created the Voynich manuscript to prove that he had uh-huh. made an indecipherable yeah. cipher. Well, he succeeded. He did good. He's trying to do. He doesn't get to know that, but I yeah. guess he did. I guess he did die yeah. knowing that no yeah. one ever figured it out. It just seems like a lot of effort to put into a book that no one's ever going to get to read. So true. The other, there's a cipher theory. Then there's the idea that it's a code. Which is basically that the the words of the manuscript would actually be codes to look up in a dictionary or a code book. So the main evidence for this theory is that the internal structure and length distribution of many of the words are similar to Roman numerals, which would have been a natural choice for codes. But 
to do a, a whole book with that kind of code would be weird. Shorthand, that theory is just that some of it is written shorthand huh. and then encoded on top of that. Huh. This last one is kind of my favorite because it feels like a middle school, what a middle school girl would do. I love it. <laughs> this theory holds the steganography. This theory holds that the text of the Voynich manuscript is mostly meaningless, but the meaningful information is hidden in inconspicuous details. So this is the kind of thing where you write a poem, but what you really pay attention mm-hmm. to is the first letter of every line. Yeah. And that's the real message. That's yep. the hidden message. Yep. So that's or a- like on um, A Christmas Story where he has to decode that yes. thing and it's drink more Ovaltine. Yeah. And yeah. that's really irritating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the whole thing that's like the text doesn't matter. It's yeah. just little bitty right. pieces inside the text right. that matter. And this is like hard to prove or disprove until we could actually read it. I mean, right. the other thing is that it does appear to be a natural language. So this theory is that it is some sort of natural language. We just don't know what the language is yet. And there are lots of theories about what it is, which we'll get into later. Here's the one that you're, is going to be your favorite. I love it. In their, this is the Glossolalia. Uh-huh, perfect. Uh-huh. In their 2004 book, Jerry Kennedy and Rob Churchill suggest the possibility that the Voynich manuscript may be a case of glossolalia, which means speaking in tongues. Of course, that would mean that. Channeling or outsider art. If so, the author felt compared to write large amounts of text in a matter which resembles stream of consciousness either because of voices heard or because of an urge. Yep. Perfect. I know that's what I'm like. With. That will be Kara's favorite. That's what I'm going with. So just like the steganography one, this theory is virtually impossible to prove or disprove since we can't actually read what it says. And it should be noted that the people who have this theory are not completely convinced of it, but they just think it's plausible. Here we go. Since the, the-, the manuscript's modern rediscovery in 1912, there have been a number of claimed decipherings, especially in recent years where they're like, I figured it out. I know. I know, I know something. I know something. I'm going to breeze through them real quickly just so you can see how, like, I was talking earlier. Like, none, yes. of, none of them go together. Yeah. Okay. So, in 1921, the text is meaningless. This is one of my favorites because it seems <laughs> completely insane. The text is meaningless, but the strokes used to create the characters are actually tiny little markings that you could only see under magnification. And those markings are based on ancient Greek shorthand. Huh? So, like, it's like the text is hidden in the in text. The text. And got to have a really powerful microscope. Yeah. All of these, by the way, have pretty much been discredited. Or at the very least, there's no reason to believe one over the other. In 1943, uh, it's Roger Bacon's Scientific Diary, a cipher written in highly abbreviated medieval Latin. Sometime between 1943 and before 1978, someone said it's an herbal reference written in code by a 16th century English author named Anthony Ascham. Hmm. 1978, it's a forgery created to entice Emperor Rudolf II into purchasing it, and the text is a Latin cipher. <laughs> also in 1978, it's a series of letters written in vowelless Ukrainian. Like, do you understand? Like, are you saying this one? It's in Latin. This one, it's written in code. This one, yeah. the text doesn't mean anything. This one, this it's another. This one's going over after an emperor. This one's Ukrainian. This one's a forgery. Yeah. Vowless Ukrainian. In 2014, it's a treatise on nature written in a Near Eastern or Asian language, translated using techniques similar to those that they use to translate the hieroglyphs. Mm-hmm. I said it wrong. Yeah. Last time. But hieroglyphs. Yeah. Now, I don't, I don't know what any words are anymore. No. Words are um, words. <laughs> In 2017, it's Maybe a mostly... that's the point of learning about this book. It just makes you think. It's just it. like... It just scribbles your words up. It your just brain. exists to push your imagination. In 2017, it's a mostly plagiarized guide to women's health. 
decoded as abbreviated Latin. So plagiarism back then was kind of normal because there were no large printing presses. So uh-huh. if you wanted a copy of a book, you plagiarized. Right. In 2017, it's most likely encoded Hebrew. In 2018, it's an old Turkic language written oh, in a poetic style where the author spelled out words the way he or she heard them. So it's they can't even agree on like what language it is. Yeah, they all what pretty much are like it's a code of some sort. Yeah. you know, it's a cipher, it's a code. But Clearly, there's women involved. Yeah, we know there's women. Yeah, because <laughs> there are lots of naked women in the drawings. So anyway, this Maybe one a midwife wrote it. I mean, I have wondered about that. I just wonder if there's some sort of ancient knowledge in that book. Yeah, that we need that to know. We're never going to figure we need out. To know. So this one. I, I've kind of breezed through the rest of these, but I want to give you the full description of what happened in 2019 because it was I, last year. I enjoy it. And it's also really recent. Okay. In 2019, the journal Romance Studies published a paper by Gerard Cheshire titled The Language and Writing System of MS408, <laughs> Voynich Explained. Cheshire, a biology research assistant at the University of Bristol, claimed to have d- deciphered the manuscript in two weeks huh? using a combination of lateral thinking and oh. ingenuity. This is great. <laughs> I figured it out. How'd you do it? Ingenuity. Ingenuity. That's how I did it. I'm a polymath. I want to say that next time somebody asks me anything. Yeah. How did you come to this conclusion? Ingenuity. And just a little ingenuity. He suggested that the manuscript is a compendium of information on herbal remedies, therapeutic bathing, and astrological readings, which I want to be like, yeah, we can all tell that. Yeah. From the illustration. Yeah. With a focus on female physical and mental health, reproduction, and parenting. He Were said, there children in the no scribbles? Just, just women. women. He said the manuscript was compiled by Dominican nuns as a source of reference for Maria of Castile, Queen of Aragon. However, experts in medieval documents disputed this interpretation vigorously. <laughs> they with disputed the, it vigorously? Oh, yeah. That's get, intense. I'm reading her response, too, because it's funny. Oh, God. With the executive editor of Medieval Academy of America, Lisa Fagan Davis, denouncing the paper as just more aspirational, circular, self-fulfilling nonsense. <laughs> Approached for comment by someone, Davis gave this explanation. All right. I love this. She's so, she's so angry. She seems really sassy. And she should be. I mean, as with most would-be Voynich interpreters, the logic of this proposal is circular and aspirational. He starts with a theory about what a particular series of glyphs might mean, usually because of the word's proximity to an image that he believes he can interpret. He then investigates any number of medieval, medieval romance language dictionaries until he finds a word that suits his theory. Then he argues that because he found that word that suits his hypothesis, his hypothesis must be right. (sighs) So it's a little bit of like a self-fulfilling, like I'll keep looking until I can figure, yeah. His translations from what is essentially gibberish, an almogam, almogam, mm-hmm. almogam yeah. Yeah. of multiple languages are themselves aspirational rather than being actual translations. Oh, she's she took spicy. that down. She she's like, was I'm serious smart. about it. Yeah. I like it when smart people she take said, it down. She said, you're not going to decipher my yeah. My book. Basically, with all the theories, it's like you'd hope to see some similarities yeah. between the theories yeah. or that they might build on each other. Yeah. But they don't. Nothing. They can't even agree on a starting point. Right. So if you're interested in having a copy of the book yourself, it's available on Amazon right now for $35. Go and purchase a We're copy of it now. Um, you could also get it from Yale, and the Yale one is $50, but it includes essays that explained what we have learned from this work, from like the alchemy stuff. I just want to decipher it myself. I'm just going to... I mean... I don't need other people's opinions. 
the let's see the the Yale one where it has all those essays and uh-huh. it says as New York Times bestselling author Deborah Harkness says in her introduction the book invites the reader to join us at the heart of the mystery. Um, I'm a hundred percent gonna buy it. I'm gonna. Yeah. I just want to look at it. I just want to see the drawings. Yeah. So what do you think? What do you think it is? Uh, I really do think it's. Well, you know how, like, midwives were considered witches? Mm-hmm. I think it might be something similar to that. I mean, they clearly are... Because, you know, you play in your period or all these things around astrological things, your emotions, all oh, that yeah. stuff. Yeah. Why is it in code? Maybe they were aliens as well. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I have for sure... Okay, I thought of many... Especially where I've been working on this for a couple of weeks uh-huh. and reading all about it. I'm like, okay. So I can just as easily believe something like that, where it's like a midwife who maybe even... I mean, women have gone through different in different um, cultures and different time periods yeah. where it's like we were revered uh-huh. and known to be like oh yeah powerful yeah. to you know where we're crap Peons. and nobody wants to listen. Yeah. You know, women are weak and yeah. stupid. It could be that this was created during a time when women had to not be as smart as they were. They had to hide how smart they were. Yes, almost. yeah, um, because you know it's threatening to certain people. Yeah. And so maybe that's why they coded it because they didn't want you to know what. Right. Maybe maybe they're so smart that they were like, "Screw you guys! I will keep all my knowledge to myself. Yeah, and you don't get to have it. And only it. the women in this group know. Yeah, <laughs> you all have your Freemasons, and now we have our women's group. The other, <laughs> my other theory is like, what if it belongs to some ancient civilization like Atlantis uh-huh. or some alien, yeah, civilization, or and it's somehow wound up here. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love that too. That's I just like thinking about it. Now wheels are turning. I also would really love to see it. Like I have, so there's a rare books room at Transy. And I think we talked about that a little bit when I did the Braffin-esque episode yes. because a lot of his stuff is kept mm-hmm. at Transy. But like, you know, there's books at Transy that are just hundreds of years old. And it's so cool to think about. I can't imagine like looking at this book and being like, this book is 600 years old. Yeah. And so many people have tried to figure it out. And it's fascinating to look at. Go Google it. Look at it. You can see all kinds of images of it online. You guys, you can see the drawings. They're cool. They're so pretty. Oh, yeah. And I love this looking so at like. Cool. like uh, that's clearly a Monstera. That's like a Monstera. But the whole idea of looking at um somebody's like found journal where they oh, yeah. made all these little notes. They have all these drawings. Like I really love yeah, that. Handwriting. And the fold out pages. But can't read it. Can't read a thing. No idea what it says. Nope. So there you go. I love it so much. I know. That's our mystery for the week, you guys. I know it's a little bit of a departure from what we usually talk about, but I I heard about the Voynich Manuscript a few years ago. And ever since then, I've been like, that is the coolest story. (laughs) I love this. Yeah. Yeah. Such a great story. So you guys, if you have your own theories or if you have a copy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If you have a copy, if you're the kind of person. you think that you know what this (laughs) Well, I would say if you're the kind of person who owns a copy of the Voynich Manuscript, we should absolutely be friends. Oh, I don't know why we wouldn't be like, yeah, clearly. But yeah, if you can figure it out or if you have a new theory. Please let us know. Leave a comment on our Instagram post. You can find that at Witch's Magic Murder Mystery on (laughs) Instagram because I would super love to hear all theories. Oh, yeah. It would make Megan's day. (laughs) (laughs) Or if you could just say, Megan, I agree with all your theories. I'd be like, yep, thanks. Yeah, Yeah, perfect. Love it. Yeah. All right. So that's it for this week, you Uh all. Uh, Thanks for listening. As always, share us with your friends. Give us a like. Leave a review. All those things. All the things. (laughs) We will talk to you next week. See ya.